Well, when Braden asked me to do this message, I wasn't sure first really of the message. I knew the title. And then when I looked it up, I really was sure I didn't want to do it. Uh, this was a topic that has slowed down my walk and probably almost stopped it. Having grown up in a survival mentality, thinking of others was one thing, but loving them was totally out of the question. Pride was a major issue. Love was foreign to me, hard to identify. Most of my love experiences came from getting things, not words, for they were few and far between. I didn't really see the sacrifices as such, more of something someone was supposed to do, their job. And this continued through my early years, which was a male-lacking experience in what first was how to love. And then through my first marriage, not knowing how to be a loving husband. Coming from a single mother experience with no real males involved in my life, except in the early years, that's what I had to base my male being about. And that wasn't a very good example. No father around, no uncles, and no church. So instead of learning from it, I fell into it. The message has awoken some things that I now look back on and see how I carried through my walk with Christ. I'm sure there is more than one toe I stepped on in this room, and for that I'm sorry. I tried to represent Christ with what I have to offer, counting more on him to apply me with a sense of what it is to truly love. Not just my family, which I have failed in some parts, but also with my church family, which uh, has seen me through some really rough times. I have seen this love for each other a lot, yet I still get upset when I see it being downplayed as they have to do it, it's their job. So I'm still a work in progress. So let's see how we are going to love one another from this message this morning. Let's first recap some of the things that we've learned in the previous weeks about truly living and all it involves in our relationship with Jesus. This relationship helps us to understand and how and why we are to get along together and, you, and for you to get fully the experience, that, the life that Christ has for you. That God wants to use you. He wants to show you. He wants to touch you. He wants to be a part of your life every day, not just when we're feeling good or when we're feeling sad, but every moment of every day. So things to look for. Are we walking in the light? Are we keeping the Lord's commandments? Are we staying faithful to Christ? Are we practicing righteousness, being good? And today we step into loving one another. Seems like an easy thing to say, I love you all. But is it something that we can do or is it something we are willing to do? So let's start with our scripture today uh, in verse 11. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. The first thing we see is that we are to love one another. This beginning refers back to the time when Jesus made an announcement of something good. 
is when he told his disciples to love one another, taken from John 13, 34, 35. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, followers of Christ, or followers of Jesus, if you love one another. This, of course, is not new. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament in Leviticus 19.18, and it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but you love your neighbor as yourself. We see this also from the time that John's audience were first becoming believers, and then we drop right off the page. We got off to a good note, and then bam, it all went south. And it says in John 1, 3, 12, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. We see the story of two brothers from Adam and Eve all the way back into Genesis 4, the first book of the Old Testament. Abel offered a sacrifice to God and it pleased God, whereas Cain's didn't. Abel brought an animal from his flock while Cain brought grain and fruit. Abel's was more acceptable, God, because it was a blood sacrifice and most important because of Abel's attitude when he offered it. Even after God rejected Cain's, God gave him a chance to do what, you know, right his wrong. But again, Cain refused. Do we see ourselves in this? You might not have committed murder yet. But you came second in something, or you didn't finish, and somebody finished ahead of you. And then you refused to shake their hand. And then you refused to talk to them. First came resentment. Hatred for someone falls into this category also, because we have totally disregard for someone's life. Seems like miles away from murder, but the principle is the same in God's eyes. Are you on this path? Are you struggling with this today? See, John's point was not that Cain murdered and became a child of the devil, rather because Cain belonged to the, to, to the evil one. His anger and jealousy drove him to murder. John, John was trying to make his readers understand the terrible results of refusing to love one another. Lack of love can lead to anger, jealousy, hatred, and finally, even to murder. In verse 13, we see this. Do not be surprised, my brothers, referring to other Christians, if the world hates you. What? But you say, I love everyone. How someone could hate me is unthinkable. Yeah, but it's not that way. You see, the world is hostile towards God. And if we belong to God, then we just fall into that category that the world hates us. Jesus wants his followers to be distinctive. He sets them apart from the world. When we become Christians, our lives may change a little, or they could change a lot, but they will change. Amen. We have heard testimony, testimonies from people that makes us shudder just to think of how their lives revolved around trouble and around evil. And even when they came to Christ, they struggled. They fell backwards. And I think of this game 
or someone would stand behind you and say, just let go, I'll catch you. (laughs) Depending on what their motive was, either to build trust or just to pull a prank, the result was whatever choice they made. As long as you went backwards, then you found out what their choice was. But in Christ, he is there to catch us, to build up our trust in him. And this was true for the first century believers who came out of the morally corrupt pagan world. John's readers lived in emphasis. Former pagans, those who do not acknowledge God in any religion, would have been involved in many evil things. After they became believers, they no longer wanted to be involved in such things. So as we come to Christ, we will be tested, but this is when we trust Christ to catch us, to get us through it. And as Cain did with Abel, unbelievers react in hostility. Often because they wanted wanted to justify their own actions or silence their conscience. When a person stands aside from certain activities, it makes others think, and often they don't like that. So verse 14 says, we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. You see, the world may hate Christians, but Christians must express love for one another. Love for fellow believers proves that a believer has passed from death to the sphere of eternal life. Now in saying that, their love does not earn them eternal life. Instead, their love is evidence that they already have eternal life. We see in John 5, 24, it says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words, believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. We must ask ourselves, do I have this kind of love? If I do, then I can be sure of eternal life and that this will publicly be revealed when Christ comes. By contrast, a person who has no love is still dead. This is the condition of all people by nature. We have a love of something. Trains, life, cars, money. But do you have a sacrificial kind of love is the question. In 15, it says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That word again. And you know no murderer has eternal life in him. If a heart is empty of love, then hate fills in the void. If a person hates someone, it is like wishing that that other were dead. And the Lord sees the inner desire as equal to the outward act that would result from it. Therefore, anyone who hates another Christian is really a murderer at heart. Oh, that's pretty shifting. Christianity is a religion of the heart. Outward compliance alone is not enough. Just doing things to look good may fool someone, but it will not fool God. Bitterness against someone who has wronged you is an evil cancer within you and will eventually destroy you. Don't let a bitter root grow in you or your church, like it says in Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If someone has stepped on your toes, share with them that hurt. 
Maybe they have size 13 shoe and didn't even know they stepped on you. Or maybe the joke was on you today, but it really hurt. Go to them and work it out there and then and don't let that bitter root take hold. Have you ever seen a tree that which it started out from bitter root? You know somebody in your life that seemed friendly and then that friendship just kind of disappeared over the years and it hurts. Anyways, have you ever, you know what an oak tree, look, I should have had a picture of an oak tree. An oak tree is massive, covers a lot of ground and usually kills most of the things underneath it. So it's a big, impressive tree. Now we have to think outside the box here a little bit. It has nothing to do on the trees of resentment or jealousy or dissension or immorality for their area in which they cover destroys everything underneath it. You see, this is how it works. You share your resentment or your opinion or gossip and they share it with others. And now something was just between a couple of people has grown out of control. Especially in the church, things divide and soon the church is in two camps. And love for your fellow believers is not on anyone's mind. Then the church splits, some go to the left, some leave because they just don't want to be a part of that. Whose side do I want to believe on? Meanwhile, Satan is having a good laugh. It's that simple. If we focus on our feelings and not on the mercy and grace we are to have for each other. Verse 16. And this is how we will know what love Jesus laid down for his life. His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We are to lo love non-believers also, but there is a difference to a point. To understand real love, believers need only to look at their Lord for the example. They can know what real love is because Christ gave up his life for, his pe for all people. Real love involves self-sacrifice. Because Christ is the example, believers ought to give up their lives for their Christian brothers and sisters. How may you ask? Well, good thing. By becoming truly concerned about the needs of their Christian brothers and sisters and by unselfishly giving time, effort, prayer, and their possessions supply those needs. Believers' own lives should not be more precious to them than God's own son was to him. Did you catch that? That hurts. So what is love? It is an action and not a feeling. So the greatest act of love is giving oneself for others as we see what Christ did for us. And in verse 17, 18, if anyone has material possessions, which I have, um, well, let's just skip that. And, <laughs> and see his brother in need, but have no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? And it says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. These verses give us an example of how believers can lay down their lives for others to help those in need with their worldly goods. Seldom will believers be called upon 
to give up their physical life for someone. But it's happened many and many and many times. However, every day they will face needy people who will, they ought to be willing to help if they have the resources to do so. Most people have more than they need. I think of all the missionaries who gave up everything, everything, to go and show God's love with those who might not even have heard of God or Jesus. But what they gained overrides everything we think they lost. This parable, or this parallel, say it again, this parallels James' teaching in 2, 14, 17. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. Believers should be willing to help a brother or sister in need. Talk is cheap. So just saying we love each other, love you, um, is not enough, sorry. Faith, not, faith not accompanied by love for others is worthless. How clearly do your actions say you really love others? Again, love should be shown by actions. This is what the culture of this church should be about, not just sharing our lives together, but also God's message of love to those we meet, sharing a simple meal, helping them out, lending a hand, sharing God's love with them. Verses 19, 20. Then this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. As Christians proceed in our lives with Christ, it will happen that our hearts will condemn us. Whatever the source, an overact of conscience, the realizations that we don't love others enough, or even Satan's false accusations, we will feel the accusations. Whenever this happens, we can look at how we are living out our faith by our actions, and thus we can know that we are living in the truth. In this context, the basis of our insurance is the good works that we do believe, and that we do. Believers can be confident in God's presence by reminding ourselves that God's love has been an act active in our lives as we have helped others. The statement for God is greater uh, is greater than our hearts has prompted two interpretations. Some see it as consoling believers whose hearts or conscience condemn them of the sin in general. They can hold on to the sign of sonship, which is, I belong to God, God's children. Because we are and have God's love. While others think that the phrase intensifies John's warning, the condemning voice of the conscience merely echoes the judgment of God who knows each life. I have to keep looking down at the bottom, make sure I don't skip a page. The message just won't make sense. 
Thus believing, thus believers cannot gloss over or excuse our sins as insignificant. In both cases, by claiming God's forgiveness through Christ, believers can come confidently to God, recognizing that his grace and mercy are greater than our guilt. Because God knows every Christian. And Christians can trust that he thoroughly understands and will forgive our sins and help us to grow in areas where we need it the most. Many are afraid that they don't love others as they should. They feel guilty because they think they are not doing enough to show proper love to Christ. Their conscience bothers them. John has these people in mind in this letter. How do we escape that gnawing accusations of our conscience? Not by ignoring them or rationalizing them, our behavior, or rationalizing our behavior, but by settling our hearts on God's love. When we feel guilty, we should remind ourselves that God knows our motives as well as our actions. His voice of assurance is stronger than the voice of accusations of our conscience. If we are in Christ, God will not condemn his children for whom his son died. Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God's heart for us is so full of grace that we can never be without it, no matter how much we mess up. His love is there to fill that void of despair as we come to him with repentant hearts. As I thought of this, as Braden would say, a sidebar, the Grinch came to my mind. Don't know why. It was the part where he finally got to understand what Christian was, what Christmas was all about. And his heart grew three times that day. I think of God's heart. I'm not comparing now. Just how big it must be. As we, as, as so much should be for us, and as we start to understand what loving other, others is all about, our hearts will grow twice as big. And as we see God's plan for our lives develop, and, the li- and our lives are changed, and other lives are changed because of our love for his children. Okay, that's it. The Grinch is gone. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. John's readers knew his commands and could test themselves by them. If their conscience is clear, they can come to God without fear and with bold confidence. When we approach God, we can trust that we will receive whatever we request because we obey him and do things that please him. This statement follows what Jesus said in his final discourse to his disciples as recorded in John 15, seven. If you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like and I will grant it. When a believer is remaining in Christ, meaning believing he is God's son, receiving him as his savior and Lord, doing what God says, continuing to believe the gospel, and relating in love to the community of believers. Christ's words are remaining in this believer, and his or her prayers will be answered. But this does not mean all requests are granted. 
The context of John 15 suggests that the prayers should be pertained to fruit-bearing and glorifying the Father. The same holds true for John's statement that we will receive whatever we request. Believers' requests will be honored by God when they are focused on accomplishing God's will. In 3.23, and his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. John had been expressing exactly what Jesus had said. This has also been in his command, which is one commandment expressed in two parts. They are not two separate commands, but one since faith and love cannot be separated. Believers must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. We cannot love one another without having faith in Christ or truly believe in him without having love for other believers. In the Bible, a person's name stands for his or her character. It represents who he or she really is. We are to believe not only in Jesus' words, but also in the very person as the son of God. Moreover, to believe in the name means to pattern our lives after Christ, to become more like him by uniting yourself with him. And if we are living like Christ, we will love one another. And the last verse, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm going to slow down a bit. <clears throat> those, who, those who obey his commands live in him, and he in them and this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. God and the believer live in one another. The presence of the Holy Spirit in each believer's life makes this possible. The Christian lives in the, lives in the spirit and the spirit lives in the Christian. The best analogy is that human beings relationship to air. Think about it for a second. People must live in the air so that the air can come into them. And if you don't have it, you're not here. So the indwelling spirit provides believers with the presence of the indwelling Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in the people means that Christ lives in them. So if we go to Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit is God's promise or guarantee of eternal life for those who believe in him. The spirit is in us now by faith and by faith we are certain to live with Christ forever. The mutual relationship, believers living in Christ and he lives in them, shows itself in Christians who keep these three essential commands, believing in Christ, loving your brothers and sisters, and live morally upright lives. The Spirit's present is not only spiritual and mystical, but it is practical. And a believer's life verifies this through his conduct. Did we get that this morning? Did we get this love for one another? Did we get who we are? And as I said it before, I probably have stepped on some toes before, and I'm 
what I said about going to your brother or sister and saying, you've wronged me or you hurt me. I'm kind of hoping there's not a lineup at the end of the church when the message is over for me. Um, but that's what it's about. It's being real with each other, caring for each other, loving each other, way beyond saying good morning, how you doing? I hope you're having a great day. That we touch the lives of us. And when the world sees this, the world will want to be a part of this. And then we won't be worrying about how many seats we're filling and be wondering how many services we have to have and then how many services we're going to have and how many things that we are going to accomplish outside of these walls. We've got to start with the love in here and then it spreads. And if it's not spreading, then we're not loving. But if somebody comes from the outside and says, oh, I went to church on Sunday and they weren't very friendly to each other, we're kind of missing the point. So your homework for this week is to realize how much do I love? How much am I willing to sacrifice for my brothers and sisters? What am I willing to give up? What am I willing to do? What am I willing to be to be a part of somebody else's life that is challenging. Just don't go to the people, I love you and you're easy to get along with. But the challenges. So after we're done today, we will be welcoming, I'm gonna get this wrong, Kaylin, Keelan, I was close. I didn't even write that down. That was. So Keelan is going to be baptized today. So what's that mean? She's going to join this love today. She's probably already had that. But she's going to join that. And it's our responsibility to show her this love, to be her example in her walk. It's not just to pat her and give her a high five. Well, we can't even do a high five, but, you know, give her that. But we are to be examples for her so that she can be an example for others. Again, which brings people in to a loving community. And that's what we're about, to be a loving community.